Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2017. If you're here because of that resolution, good job. 50 weeks to go. Uh, special greeting to those joining us uh, upstairs at the 01 or at uh, Crossroads or Highland Park. So it is a new year. And uh, that means it's time to, you know, take the hill, to seize the day, to get out of debt, to lose weight, uh, you know, to, to get organized. That's, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the attitude that we bring into the beginning of a new year. There's some energy there. It's also the time of year when I routinely say something about money. Uh, I do this for all kinds of reasons. I do this in start because... 25 years ago when I was young and getting started and had more energy and more hair and all of that, I had a guy come to me, a pastor, uh, who was uh, probably my age uh, in retrospect, and he said, you would serve people well if at the start of every year you would remind them of some of the basics about money because this is sometimes there's a lot of stress about money in January because December was overspending, but also it's just a time to sort of get back on top of things and bring a little discipline and perspective. I, I routinely say something about money in January because December is such a big month. So 10% of all charitable giving is done in the last 72 hours of the year. It's uh, 30% of our year comes in December uh, and so we, we focus a bit on it. And uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, the, the highest, the, the number one line item for us in terms of expenses is staff. Number two is the money that, that we give, that we give outside the walls of the church, whether that's to, to, to uh, care for widows and uh, orphans in India, whether it's church planting in Ghana, whether it's it's caring and working with refugees uh, in Istanbul, whether it's locally here with PADS or Love Inc. or any of the other ministries we're involved with. That's the second biggest uh, allocation of our funds. And so it's exciting to be able to do those things. Thank you for your generosity. Um, a third reason I say something about money with some frequency at the beginning of the year is because if a topic comes up in the Bible all the time, money is not just little three and a half by seven inch slips of paper. It is a placeholder for all kinds of spiritual issues. Many people's identity is tied up in money. Money is the way many people keep score. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of symbol of power and autonomy and authority. Things have gotten pretty weird in this culture about money. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this. It sort of happened over the last 15 or 20 years, but if we could bring somebody back from the 70s, right? I'm, not, I'm not like talking about the 1500s, but if we could just bring somebody back from the 70s and you said, you know, there's going to be lots of magazines and radio programs and TV shows and podcasts about money. And every hour there's going to be an update on the state of money. And just about everybody you ask can tell you what the Dow is going to be trading at. Not just bankers and brokers, but it's like, it's like a big topic of conversation all the time. People uh, are, are tuned into money. They would say in the 70s, wow, that sounds really weird. But that's sort of the world we live in today. And uh, yet, as much as money is talked about, it's also a very secret topic. And where there is secrecy, there's always some power that, that you've got to address. And... Uh, 
And then I'm also saying something about money because it comes up in Luke 21. So we're back into our study of Luke, and Luke chapter 21 opens uh, with a few verses uh, on this famous story about the widow and her mites, you know, her two pennies that she puts into the offering. So uh, we are close to the end. The triumphal entry of Jesus has happened a few days earlier, and uh, he has been now teaching in the temple He's been sort of in a little bit of uh, back and forth sparring with the religious leaders. That's all going to blow up here. Uh, in just a couple of days, Jesus will be dead, right? He will be, he will be crucified. So we're, we're, at, uh, we're at sort of the end. There's another address that he'll give, sort of a big, uh, a big talk, a very interesting, confusing, vexing comments that he'll make about the end. We call it the Olivet Discourse, and that still remains. But other than that, we sort of get out of Jesus' teaching and speaking as much as we get into things unfolding and sort of this march towards uh, the cross. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to to Luke chapter 21. It's the first four verses there. And it begins, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So there's a parallel account here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. We get a little bit more details there. We know that they're, in a, they're sort of in the place around the temple next to the courtyard of women. There are, there are 13 different uh, receptacles for people to put money. Jesus is standing next to one of them watching how much money people are putting in. Verse 2. <clears throat> uh, he saw... Uh, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. The Greek word here is lepton. That uh, uh, is translated by the King James Version, might. Uh, we would say penny. Uh, it's a very, very small copper coin, very thin. I bought uh, a widow's mite when I was in Israel one time. Uh, it cost me about $40, and I tried to figure out the interest and say, Wow. Like, if we could have invested in these 2,000 years ago, it's, it's just a sliver-thin piece of copper with a, with a little imprint on it. And you, uh, you earned this. If you were making minimum wage, you earned one lepton uh, every five minutes. So it's a very minor, small piece of change. It's, it's worth noting uh, that this is all about uh, widows also, because Jesus is always... Uh, looking for an example to tell a good story about the Samaritans, right? Or the alien, or the widow, or the tax collector, or he's always elevating the, you know, the prostitute. He's always looking for the people that others are shunning and pushing aside. Um, so, he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Uh, All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So there's a a few things going on here that may be under your radar that I want to talk about. But before we dive in, I I want to uh, be very upfront and say, I have an agenda today. And uh, it's an agenda for you, and it's an agenda for your money. Everybody has an agenda for you, or at least for your money. I'm just going to be very upfront about my agenda. Uh, And I also believe very sincerely that uh, everything I'm going to tell you is in your best interest to hear. 
Uh, I do believe that everything everywhere belongs to God. I do believe we are stewards. I do believe we get entrusted with God's gifts, abilities, time, opportunities, resources. And that we are accountable for what we do with what we're given. And that in light of eternity, we want to be generous people. I believe that in the end, many people will say, why wasn't I more giving? (laughs) Why didn't I give more of my time, more of my heart, more of my wealth? Why did I, why did I hold on to so much? So uh, my comments are framed by that. Now, there's a, a study that came out just a, a while back out of Notre Dame. It was a sociological study called the Generosity Paradox in which they said people who are generous are happier. People who are generous have better lives. People who are generous see things happen. It actually is in your best interest to be generous. It was a scientific, not a Christian study. It was a scientific sociological research, and they've got all the data to sort of prove it. Great. I, I, I think that works. I think when we follow God's principles, life always works better. But I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. That's not my motivation here. Uh, I'm coming at this wanting you to think more biblically and suggesting you also think more eternally about the opportunities and resources that you have, right? That we are coached by Jesus to not uh, store our treasure in earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but we're to store up our treasure in heaven where those things cannot happen. So uh, my agenda is, is twofold. I want to get a bunch of you into the Financial Peace University course that we're going to offer. And I want to get a number of you who've never given anything to start giving. So let's talk about Financial Peace University. It's, there's a bunch of these classes. Uh, they're sort of a mix of biblical principles and discussions about stewardship with sort of uh, biblical principles and common sense principles about money and debt and retirement and all of this. And, uh, and there's one that we're offering here. It's the, it's the popular one right now. It's good. And if you've not been through something like this, I want to say I really think it's in your best interest to take it. Um, it's a multi-week class. You've got to do some homework and, and all of that. But uh, I used to be much uh, more aggressive in getting people into these classes because I started as a college pastor. And so we were around hundreds of college students, and many of them were clueless about money, uh, which was uh, not good, but it was especially bad once they got the credit cards that were being handed out on college campuses. And so we just found that we had to be much, we, we just had to sort of work on that, including taking credit cards from them and saying, you'll get this back Probably never, but, uh, but right now, until you get that under control, we're taking this away from you, and sometimes we cut it up just for dramatic effect. But uh, So I, I talk about money because I was around a lot of people that didn't have much experience. We also, uh, Sherry and I, were a little bit more dialed into this whole world because we didn't have any money. Uh, so uh, I shouldn't say this when there's Trinity students here. Getting a master's degree of divinity is one of two graduate degrees you can get that actually lowers your income potential going forward. So I got out of graduate school, and we together, the two of us, were making less than $20,000 a year. And I had student loans. And so there was just very little wiggle room to do anything wrong. 
And uh, so we took the courses and we're reading the books and we're seeking out counsel and and uh, and we're really blessed by that. You know, it's, part of it's very depressing because when you're making less than $20,000 a year and not getting any insurance and, and, and paying both sides of Social Security and you've got student loans, you know, when you try to figure out how are we going to ever, like, uh, get our kids through college <laughs> or get a house? I mean, it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. But there's a sort of a, there's a, there's a God side to this equation. And uh, so I was more dialed in previously and much more uh, aggressive in terms of, of coaching people on money. I came, uh, I came here into the Midwest uh, in 1999. And one of my first observations in the first days, especially being at the Lake Forest campus, was that everybody was in business. And there were, there were bankers and there were brokers and everybody had MBAs. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not talking about money because I, I will just embarrass myself. Everybody is so past that. I'm not going to do that. And then uh, I saw some things that, that led me to question that uh, assumption. And I'd say a few things about money here or there. And then uh, a couple years ago, so 2008, things go south. And it was, it was really like three years after that, four years after that, that I ended up in a series of conversations, one a week for three months, with someone from the church who was declaring bankruptcy. So it was just one after the next, after the next, after the next. And I thought, oh my goodness, okay, this is at least partly on me. <laughs> this happened on my watch, and, and I need to be a little bit more uh, proactive on this stuff. So, um, I, so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to prepare you for retirement. Uh, that's not my goal, but all of this stuff sort of goes together in one sense. And, uh, I'm, I just want to say money is more than slips of paper. It's a spiritual, uh, activity. God does not need our money, right? When you can create things, you really don't have needs. So God does not need our money. But we need God's perspective on money. And, um, and so I, am, I have an agenda. Uh, the first one is to get those of you who have not been through a class like this to take the class. I think you will find it helpful and surprising and sort of, uh, it's sort of a good time of year to get back to that. So we're offering it at uh, Crossroads starting on January 19th. Uh, which is a Thursday evening. We're offering it at Lake Forest Campus starting January 25th, which is a uh, Wednesday night. You can take either one. Uh, you're at Highland Park. You can take either one. Anybody can go to any of the spots. But Wednesday night, Thursday night coming up later this month. So that's agenda number one. Agenda number two is to get those of you who have not given anything. And statistically, I don't know what it's here, but statistically, in the church in the United States, 50% of people haven't given anything. So I don't know whether we're high or low or average, but I just know that, that those are the averages. And uh, I want to say to those of you who haven't given anything, right, this is a problem. And, and I'm not trying to come at this from, from the church's bottom line. I'm just trying to say, you know, God is Lord of your money or not. 
And if it's not, then you're stuck at a certain point here, right? God, Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters, you'll love one, hate the other. We have to understand money is, when he talks about money, he capitalizes the M and he says, this is a power, he calls it mammon, this is a power and, and most of you are not ready for it. <laughs> it's going to change you in ways that you don't want to be changed. Uh, now, some of you are very generous. Uh, thank you. I, I don't know if you saw, I, I, there's, a, there's a couple uh, writers that I have followed over the years, and it's been very fun to watch the transition. One of them, um, Nicholas Kristof, uh, a, a self-described liberal elite. He's a foreign correspondent. And uh, he recently, uh, on Christmas Day, this is an aside, but on Christmas Day, he interviewed Tim Keller, who is the pastor at Redeemer and a prominent author. And he interviewed Keller asking him, uh, am I a Christian? He said, this is what I believe. Am I a Christian? It was a fascinating interview and an opportunity to see Keller sort of mapping out the gospel on the pages of the New York Times. So you can go back and read that. But you back up 10 years ago, and Christoph was one of the guys most vocal in talking about what idiots uh, Christians were. Uh, small minds, strong jaws, sharp teeth was one of the ways that he described us. Uh, another one was uh, uh, not very educated, easily led. You know, so there was just a lot of derogatory statements that he was making. Well, about, uh, about six years ago, he wrote a column in which he said, I have to just face this observation. He says, every time I'm on a plane going someplace that nobody wants to go, right? I'm going there to cover a war, uh, the devastation after a hurricane, wh whatever it is. I'm going someplace nobody wants to go. The only other people on the plane are Christians. And they're going there as builders or teachers or nurses or doctors or dentists or whatever. They're going there on their own nickel to serve people. Whoever they are, Hindus, Muslims, Christians, they're going there to serve people. And he said, uh, I don't like these people generally, but I like the people I meet on the plane. And I'm struck by the fact that they're there. And then a couple years ago, he came out with another uh, article and he said, uh, I'm becoming less popular at the, in my social circles, at cocktail parties. I'm probably not getting invites anymore because I keep saying to people, my friends, my secular friends, well, yes, you talk about wanting to help and do all this good, but you don't actually donate your time or your money. It's the religious people that are donating all their time and all their money. And he said, he goes, I'm shocked to discover that religious people, even if you take out the money they give to the church, he said they still give more money to secular causes and more of their time than, than uh, my, me and my liberal friends do. So uh, Christoph makes the observation that religious people, his terms, not mine, religious people, uh, give more of their time and their money away. Many of you are very generous with your time and your money. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Everybody wins when you're generous, starting with you. Some of you haven't figured this out yet. And so one of my goals today is to say, <laughs> get in the game, right? This isn't sort of for extra credit. This isn't optional stuff. This is part of the way it works. 
Everything we have belongs to God. We are stewards of his resources. Temporarily entrusted with his goods and services. And expected to invest them, our lives, our time, our talent, our money, in ways that reflect his heart, his passions, his love, his grace, and his mercy. So, you can say there's a sort of a, a ladder. At the bottom is the non-generous, right? What's mine is mine. And maybe what's yours is mine, but what's mine is mine. And, and giving it away is, is crazy talk. I'm not going to do it. Up a little bit from that would be, uh, I am going to give uh, out of my own desire to look good. So I'm going I'm to be public about it. So there's a, in Luke chapter 9, there is the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Right? And the tax collector is sort of laying prostrate at the front of the, of the synagogue saying, God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> and that is a prayer, by the way, that God always hears. Right? God always responds to people who say, I need help. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need help. Right? Jesus loves those people. Whoever they are. Nobody else wants to get close to them. Jesus loves those people. The, tag, or the, the Pharisee who says in that parable, I am so glad that I'm not like that wretched tax collector. Right? I'm a good guy. I, I'm, uh, I pray a lot. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I have. Uh, I'm a good guy. Okay? So, hey, he's giving a tenth of all he has. He's praying a lot. He's fasting. I mean, you could argue, yeah, he's doing some good things. The Pharisees were trying hard. They just, they, they sort of missed the grace piece. And, uh, and, but he's, but he's, he's arrogant in his attitude. He's telling people, look at me, look at me, look at what I do. I'm very religious. You should be like me. Okay, that, that's, okay, well, it's, I guess it's better than not giving anything, but it's not exactly where we're trying to go. You can step up uh, this ladder another step and you get the uh, uh, sort of the self-appeasing step, which is I feel guilty, so I'm going to give some money. If I still feel guilty, I'll give more, but I'm I'm just trying to sleep through the night. Uh, That's what I want to do. And then up a little bit above that would be what I'll call uh, doing good um, from time to time. So Paul will write in his second letter to the church in Corinth, uh, the eighth chapter, and he will say, uh, in essence, that, that the people who had been motivated out of a need, and right, we see a need, we see, we see the, the picture of the child or the devastation, and we want to respond. That's a good thing. Um, and, and Paul will commend the Corinthians for having been motivated on that front. But it's obvious that, that he doesn't want them only to be motivated to give when it's an emotional response. So he writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your uh, completion of it according to your means. Um, having written a number of... Um, support raising letters over the last 30 years, I would say that's code for, um, thank you for making a pledge, please send it in now. Uh, you know, we're, we're waiting. Uh, so it's not just in the moment when you're, when you're, when you're tearful and, and feel like doing it. 
So then there's a step above that, which would be a percentage of giving. Uh, I've talked about this frequently. The whole idea of giving a tenth of what we have gets developed in the Old Testament. It comes up over 800 times in the Old Testament. And it's just sort of an acknowledgement. I'm going to give the first tenth because it's all God's. I'm actually keeping 90%, uh, but I'm going to give God 10%. And I've, I've been fairly transparent that, that uh, even when we were making less than $20,000 a year, we understood that we needed to give 10%. And our, my conviction, my understanding is that the first 10% goes to the church and more goes beyond that. So as, as our income has increased, as our situation has gotten better, it's been our privilege to, to continue to ramp up not just the amount we're giving, because I'm not making less than $20,000 a year at the moment. Not just the amount, but also the percentage that we're giving away, right? So we can give a greater percentage of what we have to all kinds of other things that we are excited about. Uh, So I get pushed back when I do this. People send me emails and they say, you realize, of course, that the tithe is not a New Testament concept. Okay, well, maybe... Uh, so it does show up in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus is sort of having it out with one of the uh, religious leaders. And they say, you know, they say, we tithe on everything we get. And he says, yeah, right. But still, you know, you're sort of missing the better things, the bigger things. You, you got a bad attitude. Your heart's callous. You don't love people. So then he writes, but, but then he writes and he says, so the things that you're doing, keep doing. But you need to love people. Right? So he doesn't undermine the tithe. In one sense, he sort of endorses it. The early church practiced the tithe. And I always say to people, if you want to get rid of the 10% marker, fine. There's, there's several other places where, you'll see, where you will see suggested donation amounts. And it's always 100% after that. So I'm thinking you're going to like the 10%. But whatever. You want to argue the case. Uh, I think that... I think 10% is, a, is the floor. I think, I think those of us that are wealthy have an opportunity to give more than that. Uh, that's been our practice. Beyond that, there's another category that you could call sort of a kingdom mindset. I, I don't know. You see in Acts 2 and 4 where people are very generous. And we have a couple situations where widows in particular are generous. So in 1 Kings, there is the widow who's approached by Elisha during a famine. And he says, please, uh, I'm hungry. Would you give me something to eat? And she says, well, uh, as a matter of fact, your timing is uh, remarkable. I'm about to prepare the last loaf of bread that uh, I will ever prepare. My son and I are going to eat it and die because we, we are starving. But I'm glad, I'm glad to share with you what I have. And then we have this situation in Luke 21, where the widow gives everything that she has, right, uh, and is commended for it. So there is a, there is a ladder. Uh, I know many of you are being generous. Great. I, I just want to say, uh, look, I really think if you're not in the game, you need to get in the game. And, and that there's an opportunity to grow. Wherever you are, maybe one of the things that happens if you take financial pieces, you figure out how much you're giving. And you say, okay, we're just going to go up by a percent. Uh, we're going we're gonna to figure out how to be more generous. I, again, my big deal is not retirement. I, I'm, I'm not unconcerned with your retirement. Uh, I think the church in the next 
20 to 25 years has got to be prepared for lots of people who are not ready to retire. And how are we going to be, how, how is the church going to step up there and, and be a, a source of hope and encouragement and care? I'm not unconcerned with that, but I'm really saying this is a spiritual issue. You want to grow closer to God. This is not a, a, not a negotiable issue. And if you want to be a good steward of the life that God has given you, you want to be generous with everything that you have. So I have two agendas here. One, to get you into this class. Two, to get those of you who've never given anything to start. So now we go back to Luke 21. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Uh, All these uh, people gave their gifts out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty, or she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So here's, uh, here's what's going on in addition to what you might immediately see. Um, First of all, I I just want to note again, the, the hero in this story is a widow. Jesus looks for opportunities to celebrate Samaritans and lepers and tax collectors and widows and people that others overlook. It's always on his heart to reach out and to care for those who are oppressed, those who lack opportunity or resources. Secondly, it's worth noting that in complimenting her, I think we also need to see that he is, he is sort of uh, sticking his finger in the eye of the religious leaders. And he, this is easier to see when you read Luke 21, uh, having just read Luke 20, or when you go to Mark 12, where it's a little bit easier to see. He's, he's been in a cage fight with the religious leaders for a while. He's just said very critical things about them. He's about to say more critical things about them. And he's about to, to challenge the temple. So the money that she's giving is money that's going to go to rebuild the temple. Okay? And uh, this is the second temple. This is so Solomon built the first temple. It's, it's fallen apart. Herod uh, is coming in to sort of supercharge the temple that had been rebuilt uh, at the time of Nehemiah and others. And so he's been having 10,000 people work for 40 years, and they're still not done. And it's a massive complex. And so they're always raising money for this temple. And Jesus is about to say, uh, <laughs> this temple that you're working on, it's about to go away completely. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. And oh, by the way, I'm the temple. This building that you've been so obsessed with is no longer important. I am now the intersection of God and man. Right? You want to see the opportunities to, to be right with God. It doesn't come through sacrifices being made in that building. It's going to come with me. So there's some of those dynamics going on. And there's also this. Right? So this woman gives everything she has, which you know, has a little bit of a wince factor to it. Like, oh, no, how are you going to eat lunch? Right? Like, you know, don't give everything. You've got to be a little bit practical here. Who gives everything? So I, I think that this is Jesus doing something, celebrating something that a few days later people are going to see in a very different light because he's about to give everything. Right? 
So you will see these things get set up throughout the Bible where there's an instance such as when God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac, go three days journey to this mountain, tie him up and sacrifice him there. Right? And we read this account and we're like, first of all, thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe that Abraham would do this. I can't believe that he has that much faith. But secondly, we're thinking, no, this is just unfair. This is wrong. God, this is wrong that you would make this ask. For a father to be expected to take the life of his son, no, that's just wrong. Okay. Well, uh, we then realize later on, of course, the angel intercedes and, and Abraham doesn't uh, sacrifice Isaac. But we later realize that Abraham had been instructed by God to go to the mountain where Jerusalem will be built. So they are right there and this is where Jesus is going to be sacrificed, right? This is where a different father is going to sacrifice a different son. And so... All the, the, the confusion and the shock and, the, and the, the horror that a father would be expected to sacrifice their son, right, that sets up here, is actually about Jesus, right? And I think that this widow, him commending this widow, she gave everything she had, is sort of a little placeholder for Jesus, who's about to give everything that he has <laughs> for us. We're, we're, not being, we're not being asked to be generous by a God who is not been generous, right? That is, that is how he has led. So there are several things going on here in addition to the very ongoing common refrain that we are expected to be generous people, to care for others, and uh, that everything we have belongs to God. We are stewards of his gifts, time, talent, and resources. And we want to be good stewards in light of eternity. Eternity changes everything. And uh, so I think we want, to, we want to develop a pattern, a cadence of life in which we give first, save second, and live on the rest. And that, that's one that works. Give, save, live on the rest. So there, there are financial principles throughout uh, the book that, that guide and direct us. I'll stop there and say, uh, I, I want to encourage you to sign up for Financial Peace University if you've not been through something like that. And secondly, if you're, if you're not giving, I want to encourage you to get in the game because it's sort of not an optional part of this. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity in that uh, you would give even your son Thank you for that, and uh, thank you for the counsel that we find, uh, the wisdom that we find in Scripture about how to live lives that, are, that work, about how to understand what's going on, about um, how to invest in your kingdom. Guide us, direct us, help us to see the idols in our life and the ways in which money or the things that it buys or does might be an idol to us. Um, may we be good stewards of all that you give us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.